taking your seats, go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Well, we've, um, over the past couple of months, heard from Pastor Ian a series of messages on the culture of redemption, the culture of our church, and the hope is that as we've been listening to these messages, we've been really sincerely and genuinely considering what life in the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And I'm not sure what the Lord may have been uh, pressing into each one of your hearts. I, I've had meaningful conversations with, with many of you these past couple of months about things like worship and, and prayer and uh, courageous evangelism and, and disciple-making. And I can tell you this, for, for me personally, as I've been thinking and uh, listening to these messages and praying afterwards and, and even preparing the small group questions, there's one thing that's been pressed into my heart, one thing that's standing out, and, and it's this. I, I long for more. I long for more. I, I want more for our church. I want more for my life. I want more for your life. And when I say I want more, I don't mean extravagance. I'm not talking about anything elaborate or extraordinary. When I say more, I'm talking about more of what the Bible describes as what is supposed to be normal, ordinary Christianity. A deeper embrace of the distinctives that God has laid out for us in his word for our church. I'm talking about a closer more intimate walk with Jesus Christ and his bride. I'm talking about life with each other in the church that is beautiful in the sight of God who is watching us. Ultimately, I'm talking about us regularly living life together as a church family in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. This is what Paul wanted for the church in Colossae, this is what the Holy Spirit wants for our church. And in the beginning verses of this letter, we see that Paul and Timothy have heard of the faith of the believers in Colossae. They'd, they'd never been there, there them, themselves. Paul wasn't the one who planted this church in this city, but he heard from Epaphras that there was a, a church in Colossae. A group of people there who had turned away from their former manner of life. They turned away from their sin and they turned to Christ. And they'd embraced the message of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness for sin in faith. And Paul writes this letter to them and he tells them, We heard about your faith. We've heard how you've embraced Jesus Christ. And, and we want you to know, we want you to know that from the day we heard about it, we haven't stopped praying for you. And listen, church, if, if we just set aside our familiarity with the fact that we hold the very word of God in our hands for a second, we, we might just consider for a moment the Apostle Paul writing this letter and the Holy Spirit as the divine author who's breathing out the words that he wants Paul to write in this letter. And Paul writing to this church and telling this church, We've constantly been praying for you. Our response ought to be what? What's the prayer? I need, I need to know what this prayer is. 
What, what do they so desperately need from God? And, and further, why, why? Why do they so desperately need it? And more than that, what will it look like when this prayer is answered? And let's make it just a little more personal for us. Because God's word is, is relevant to us. And this letter was written to the Colossians, but it was written for us. And so we need to look at this passage this morning and we need to see what we so desperately need from God. And why it is that we so desperately need it. And what's going to happen in our lives when God answers the prayer. In another of Paul's letters, the letter to the second or the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, Paul tells the church there that while they are waiting, just as we are, to be in their heavenly dwelling place, he says, whether you're in your heavenly dwelling place or whether you're here now in your earthly dwelling place, you have one aim, and that's this, to please the Lord. To please the Lord. And, and that's the same aim that Paul is focusing on here in Colossians chapter 1 in his prayer to the church. This has always been my heart for the church, that we would be a church who is pleasing to the Lord. And I just, again, hearing this, me- this series of messages on the distinctives of our church, the culture of our church, I just want more of this. And I hope you do too. And I hope that God's word this morning would spur your heart toward this end. Paul prays what he prays for the Colossian church so that followers of Christ would live a life that is worthy of the Lord. Do you realize that simply just asking the question, just stopping and asking the question in any area of your life or in any of these areas of the church, what would please the Lord here? Would just radically transform the way that you live for Him? What we're going to see this morning as we look at Paul's prayer is four evidences of a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Four evidences of a life that is pleasing to the Lord and we want to see this so that we'll know if we are growing in wise application of God's revealed truth. And even more specifically than that, I want to drive the application in, in a real precise direction this morning toward the the distinctives, the culture of our church, so that we'll know how we can be praying toward a more meaningful embrace of these distinctives. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14 this morning, and as we do, I just want you to notice, first off, that Paul lays a foundation for where he's going in the rest of this text and where we're going to go in the rest of this sermon. Paul begins by asking that the church would have a fuller grasp of God's will. And together with that, that that they would understand and rightly be able to apply in the course of their lives God's revealed will, which is found in the Word of God, by the way. And then what Paul's going to do in verse 10, he's going to say that the reason it's so important that we have an understanding of God's will so that we can live in accordance with that will is so that we can live in a way that pleases the Lord. Because listen, knowledge isn't the goal, right? That's the request. God, give us knowledge of your will. But the goal is that we would take that knowledge and live it out in a way that pleases him. And then he's going to go on and tell us some examples of what this kind of life looks like. So let's read the text together, beginning in verse 9. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Alright, so four evidences of a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Evidence number one, I'm living a life that is pleasing the Lord if I'm serving His people. If I'm serving His people. Paul begins with one of the clearest ways we can discern if our lives are pleasing to the Lord. Just halfway through verse 10 there, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Certainly, us bearing fruit in good works is part of God's will for our life and for our church. Just a few moments ago, Miles read from Titus chapter 2 and verse 7. We didn't plan this. God just continues to do things like this to show us the unity of his word. Paul exhorts Titus, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says that God has prepared good works for us to be engaged in. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, the author tells us to consider how we as a church family might stir each other up to love and what? Good works. See, good works are part of God's will for our life. We just need to make sure we keep this a distinctly Christian message. When we talk about pleasing God and we talk about good works, there's great potential to go off course and, and to talk about something that is entirely not the message of the Bible. So I want to remind you that when we talk about pleasing God and good works, that good works come and follow as a result of what God has already done in our lives to reconcile us to himself by grace alone. We don't engage in good works in order to please God so that we will earn our way into a right standing with Him. That's not the relationship between pleasing God and good works. The right biblical relationship between pleasing God and good works is that God has done an extraordinarily infinite amount for us in His mercy. And the response of our lives is to desire to please Him as an act of worship. And part of that is to be engaged in good works. God has poured out His grace into our lives. And God intends to bring forth out of our lives fruit that is pleasing to Him. A healthy tree produces good fruit and a healthy Christian is engaged in good works. And I don't want to be just content with a little bit of fruit. And I hope that you don't either. I hope you want more of this. I hope you want to bear more fruit for God. Jesus, in John chapter 15, he said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is 
that bears much fruit. If we want to bear fruit, we need to abide in Jesus. Actually, turn, turn with me to John 15. I want to look a little bit closer at the context of these words from Jesus because I, just, I want to show you why it's appropriate that I am suggesting that to word bearing fruit in every good work, to link bearing fruit in every good work with serving God's people is biblically accurate. Look at John 15, Jesus is telling his disciples about the vine and the branches. And in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now look at the summary statement of this section of Jesus' discourse. In verse 17 he says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. See how Jesus links bearing fruit and loving one another so closely together? God's will for us as a church and individually as, as members of the church is that we would bear fruit through good works in our acts of love, which is service to each other. Paul writes to the Colossians to encourage them in this end and, and just like we can do in every single one of Paul's letters is we can look at Paul's life and we can see an exemplary, an exemplary life in the things that he's calling the churches to be. See, Paul is writing this letter to encourage the church. Right? He's doing a good work by praying for them well, he's in prison. Paul's in Rome. He's, he's chained in prison for the sake of the gospel, and yet he keeps on doing good works. It's an amazing thing to think about. And we need to think about, what, what am I doing to love and to serve my church? And I know so many of you feel the way I feel about the pace of life. Doesn't it just seem like the globe is spinning faster and faster and the days are going by quicker and quicker? It's, I, I can't believe that it's Christmas season is upon us. It seems like just last month that we were dragging the Christmas tree out to the curb and you know, slowing down the playlist for the kids of the Christmas songs. I can't believe it's Christmas already. Really, another year has gone by like that. And this is what life feels like and I may have mentioned this to some of you before. This used to bother me. This, this used to really uh, make me disappointed in some way. And, and yet the Lord has changed that perspective in me to think, you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how fast it seems like life is passing me by if, if I'm having an impact 
on others for their spiritual benefit. If I'm willingly working to bear fruit that will promote growth in your life, and if you're doing that to promote growth in my life, and together as disciples of Jesus, we're having an impact on one another's life so that we're following Christ together more closely, then who cares if it's November or September or whatever month it is? Am I right? But what gets in the way of, of, of us bearing fruit in good works and loving one another and serving his people? You know, one word stands out for me, and it's this, selfishness. Selfishness. One writer said, We all begin the Christian life with the intention of living in such a way as to please God. But we encounter obstacles along the way. Particularly, we meet with conflicts between what pleases us and what pleases God. And we need help to overcome these obstacles. The Christian life in a real way is often a struggle. And I resonate with that struggle. I resonate with the, with the inner fight to please myself and to please God and, and to lay aside my own comfort, my, my own time, right? my own resources, my own energy in order to serve God's people. And yet what Paul gives us here in this section of this letter is, is an example of prayer that's really instructive for us because it reminds us that we need to continually be asking God to reveal to us His will for our lives and to give us wisdom and understanding so that we can see how we can be abiding in Christ so that we're bearing fruit for His glory. One example of what this kind of prayer might look like in our lives, you know, I, I'm trying to think of some of these distinctives as we go through this message. And, and here I, I think of the disciple-making distinctive. And so here's an example of, of a kind of prayer we can pray that would line up with Paul's word here in Colossians chapter 1 and really bridge the gap to show us how we can be praying for a more full, full embrace of the things that we're called to in this church. How about this? Lord, help me to see where your plan and purpose of disciple-making fits into my life. Forgive me for being selfish and preferring me. God, I want to please you by bearing fruit for you in this way. Help me, God, to see how I can purposefully engage in discipleship with my church. Serving his people is one of the evidences that we are living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Second evidence from the passage this morning is this. I'm living a life that is pleasing the Lord if I am studying his perfections. Studying his perfections. Verse 10 concludes like this. Paul says, in increasing in the knowledge of God. God's will for you and, and for me is that we would grow in our awareness and our understanding of all who He is. We can know that our life is pleasing in His sight when this is happening. God's perfections, or otherwise called God's attributes, are found when we peer into the depths of God's Word and we see in His self-revelation more and more of who He is. 
We are responsible for opening the book. We are responsible for putting ourselves under bold preaching. We are responsible for meditating and memorizing God's word. And then it's God who causes the growth in us. I'm reading through Jeremiah in my read-through of the Old Testament right now and in looking at this passage about growing in the knowledge of God, I thought about Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. The prophet declares, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For it is in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is pleased when our boast is in the things of Him. When our boast is that we are growing in our understanding of the knowledge of the perfections of God. Paul's heart cry in Philippians chapter 3 is, is that he may know Him. That he may know Him. Is that your heart's cry this morning? I mean, do you really know Him? Are you growing in your knowledge of Him? Is it increasing in your life? Are you getting to know His attributes more and more? Are you able to speak of His wisdom, His power, His faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy, His patience, His beauty, His holiness, on and on. The depths of who God is is unsearchable. We cannot ever exhaust it. Are you growing in the knowledge of His Son? God's Word says that we see the Father in the face of the Son. Actually, just look down at verse 15 in, in Colossians chapter 1. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Later on in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those, who, or for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know God is to know Christ, and to know Christ is to know God. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Oh, the delight of fellowship with Jesus. Earth has no words which can set forth the holy calm of a soul leaning on Jesus' bosom. Then he says this, which is, ought to be very um, thought-provoking, to say the least, for us. Spurgeon says, few Christians understand it. They live in the lowlands, and they seldom climb to the top of Mount Nebo. They live in the outer court, and they enter not. The holy place. Listen, church, my heart for you is that you would walk closely with Jesus. You know, we can, our walk with Jesus can take on different looks, can it? And I just want more of, of Jesus in my life and in your life and in our life together as a church. I, I don't want to be content to just be walking where Jesus is over there and I'm over here. I want to be walking close with Christ 
And I want that for you. And I want you to be growing in the knowledge of Him and of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit because this pleases God. And just as selfishness gets in the way of us serving His people, you want to, get, you want to know what gets in the way of us studying His perfections? It's busyness, isn't it? There's other, there's other things as well, but I think busyness is just a huge part of it in our culture, in the, in the life that we are living, in the place we live. There's so many other things just screaming at us for our attention. And listen, we are sacrificing a greater increasing knowledge of God on the altar of lesser things that have no significance whatsoever. We're busy doing so many things, but we need to examine our lives to say, what can I be saying no to? What are some of the things in my life that are fine and okay that, that I can just say no to so that I can say yes to seeking the Lord and knowing Him in greater and greater ways? When this is happening in our life, passionate worship will begin and grow in our lives as well. Listen, again, knowledge isn't the end goal. To know more and more of who God is, is to spur us on to greater and greater worship together as a church. That we might love God, that we might adore Him, that we might praise Him all the more. This is what God calls us to do when we come together as a church family. To give Him the glory, to ascribe to Him the glory that is due His name. And a way that we can pray this prayer, again, another example of what this might look like in our lives, we could say this, Lord, give me eyes to see more and more of who you are. Show me where my walk isn't matching up to your glorious revelation that you've given of who you are. Help me, God, to be a diligent student of your perfections so that I may please you by being a more passionate Worshipper. I pray that you would be considering where the Lord might be calling you to put off some of the busyness in your life, specifically. Think of an area in your life that, that you can set aside and say, I don't need to be doing that. So that you personally and together with your church family can be growing and increasing in the knowledge of God. These are some weighty things that we're talking about here this morning, aren't they? Pleasing God, living according to His will in the church. These, these aren't easy things to do, which leads to our third evidence of a life that's pleasing the Lord. We see in this text, if I'm living a life that's pleasing to the Lord, I'm seeking His power. Seeking His power. Verse 11, Paul describes what this pleasing, worthy life to the Lord further looks like. He says, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. When we're 
joyfully persevering in the Christian life, in life together as the body of Christ, by the power that He works within us, listen, this is pleasing in God's sight. God has set forth in His Word many instructions for us on how we ought to live, and He's told us what He desires of us as a church. And we need to remember this, that God never asked His children to do anything without first supplying them with the power to do it. So even as sometimes embracing and fulfilling these distinctives feels like we're trying to push a thousand pound bowling ball up a hill, in the rain, God says, ask of me and I will show you how my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God says, I will show you how to endure through the difficult pressures of life. I will teach you patience when people and situations seem to be impossible. And I'll even help you to do this with joy. As I examine my life and as I pray for for my life, my family, and for you, my church family. I just, I want to be done with giving up and, and making excuses and, and having good intentions but lacking follow through. I want us together as a church family to seek wisdom and understanding from the Lord so that we can more clearly see how our own power could never be sufficient to live this life that's pleasing to Him, but that He grants us the power so that we can do it. We can live a life in accordance with His will when we're seeking His power. What can we say gets in the way of our being strengthened with God's power? It has to be prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Our days ought to be consumed with continual prayer, just like Paul's continual prayer for the church in Colossae. God, teach me your will. Show me how I can have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that I can walk in a manner that is worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, but I can't do it apart from your strength. So strengthen me, O Lord. One area of church life that's hard for me is courageous evangelism. I I long to grow as an evangelist. I, I long to to be able, like some of you, to more freely share Christ and, and even um, bridge the gaps between, you know what I mean, between just having a conversation about other things and, and bringing that to a spiritual conversation and bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to bear in a conversation. And, and it's very fitting that courageous is the adjective to describe this because we need courage, right? We need boldness. And for this, we need strength. So perhaps a a prayer as we consider life in the body of Christ and what this looks like, and our need for strength from the Lord so that we can live out His will might go something like this. Lord, I need You. Every moment of my life, I need You desperately. I know Your will for me is to proclaim the riches of Your grace in Christ to this world that is lost in darkness, but my knees are wobbly. I want to please you in sharing the good news. 
So God, please strengthen me by your power so that I could be courageous and be a light and share your word wherever you have me in this dark world. I'm living a life that's pleasing the Lord if I'm seeking His power. Final evidence that Paul gives in this text this morning comes in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. And here we see I'm living a life that's pleasing the Lord if I'm celebrating. If I'm celebrating His provision. Thanksgiving is pleasing to the Lord and it should be a distinguishing mark of the everyday Christian life. We know that Thanksgiving is God's will for us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It couldn't be any more clear, right? Just a quick glance of the writing ministry of the Apostle Paul, let alone all the other books in the Bible, shows again that Paul exemplifies this attitude of gratitude in his life. Up above in verse 3, he begins the prayer report by telling them, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then further down in our, in our text, in chapter, or sorry, in verse 12, Paul elaborates on the, really the, the main reason why we ought to be a church, a people who are continually giving thanks. He highlights the eternal blessings that God has poured out richly upon us. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We could take just any part of those three verses and we could spend the entire day just meditating on the riches that are contained. Qualified qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? How can this be? I was never qualified in and of myself. My life wasn't pleasing in His sight such that, that I should be granted an entrance and, and given a spot in His eternal kingdom. He had to qualify me. He had to authorize that I would have this share. I didn't deliver myself. He delivered me from the domain of darkness, it says. And I, I don't know about you, I, I like coming across a good deliverance story, maybe uh, something, a documentary on, on TV where you know, maybe a loved one, a family member, or maybe, maybe it's part of a team or, or a member of a country is behind enemy lines and, and captured and, and they're in the darkness and they're behind this fortified 
place, right? And, and, and then there's a team of, of people who, who come and they craft this plan and they, maybe they lower this guy down, you know, in the, under the cover of darkness, a special op to, to rescue and deliver this loved one. Listen, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. While we were still his enemy. While, while we were still running far from doing his will, we, we didn't want to please him. We loved our own sin. We were following after the course of our own flesh. We were resisting God's rule in our lives. And yet God sent his son on a divine rescue mission. The light of the world entered into the darkness. The light of the world came and he endured the darkness on the cross. The deepest darkness of the wrath of God for sinners. And not only has he delivered us out, but he's transferred us in. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He set us free from the penalty of sin. He set us free from the power of sin. He's He's one day going to set us free from the presence of sin. He's given us a place in His kingdom. Through the redemption that He offers in His Son. The forgiveness of our sins. Have you experienced the redemption that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone? Are you a thankful follower of Jesus Christ recognizing these eternal blessings bestowed upon you in Christ Jesus? The obstacle, I think, that so often gets in the way of our being a thankful people is short-sightedness. It's losing sight of these eternal truths and it's, and it's fixing our eyes on the things of the here and now. And it's hard. It's hard, right, to not do that. And it's not always clear to us how we can be thankful when what we're going through isn't at all what we want to be going through. So the distinctive that sticks out for me in this is fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. God calls us to be a church together who is fervently praying. And when we link this together with the idea of thankfulness, it the prayer might look something like this. Lord, I know it's your will for me to be thankful. I know it's your will for us as a church to be thankful. And we want to be thankful. We ought to be thankful, but sometimes we're not. Please help us to be fervent in prayer. Begging you to change our hearts. Giving us wisdom and understanding so that we do not lose sight of the eternal blessings you've provided for us in Christ Jesus our Lord and lack the gratitude toward so worthy a Redeemer. Paul's heart for the church is God's heart for the church. 
God's heart for the church in Colossae is his heart for Redemption Church here in Durham. It's that we would be living our lives together in ways that are truly pleasing to him. And we see in our text this morning that this pleasing life is evidenced in the way that we serve his people, in the way that we study his perfections and seek his power, and in the way that we celebrate his provision. This morning the clocks went back an hour, and I'm sure many of you experienced some of the joys that come with that with the little kids. We've been working in our family. We decided a couple months ago that we were going to start to cheat, and we've been adjusting the clock 10 minutes at a time every couple of weeks to get ready for today. <laughs> it, was, it was helpful. It worked pretty well. Um, so we're, you know, we're watching the video monitor this morning, and, and our oldest two are in a bunk bed in, in the same room, and we're, we're watching them as, as the time is getting closer, and they're awake, and they're kind of moving around but they didn't come out of their beds. Their, their, their alarm clock is one of those ones that changes color, so they're watching for the, for the clock to turn orange. And They came out when it did, and, and both of them, Luke and Meredith, came up to me, and, and the smile on their face, because they knew that what they did, or didn't do, <laughs> was pleasing to me. And to see the look on their faces when I said, I'm proud of you. You stayed in your room. It's a reminder of our relationship to our Heavenly Father. And as one, write, one writer put it like this, what higher approval could a person enjoy than to know that what he or she has done is pleasing to God? Church, let's Let us not cease praying together that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may live this worthy life in a manner that is pleasing to Him.